0: well good morning and welcome to church i'm so excited to be preaching uh on easter and to be announcing the gift that we have that uh, christ has given us in the resurrection um but what does that mean for us what is that, what's the promise to us individually and as a group? What does it mean that Christ is raised from the dead? Is it, it just an affirmation that we can trust God and that there's power in what God has done? Or is there specific resurrection power available to us both now and on through eternity? We're going to be going back and completing our series in uh, the Prophets. We're in Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 7. And I am going to uh, show and declare that the resurrection is for all of us, both now and forever. And this is really good news. We ended Friday night's service that there is uh, possibly a short-term pessimism about our world, but there is a long-term optimism because of Christ. Uh, The pessimism in this case has lasted for three days. And it is all optimism once we find out that he's raised and he has kept his promise. So Isaiah 42, verses 1 to to 7, Behold the Savior. Would you read with me? Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives birth to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open up the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Here ends the reading of God's word. Behold the risen Savior. This is the first in the uh, discussions on the servant the Messiah now being seen as a servant. He's been seen as a king, and the promises that we've looked at, he's been seen as a child in chapter 9 of Isaiah, and chapter 11, the branch of David, and now he's being seen as a servant, and this is the first of those, and he's declaring more about the character and what he is accomplishing as the Messiah, and ultimately what he accomplishes in the empty tomb, and the fact that he was raised from the dead. So the question is, does it make any difference that he raised from the dead? I mean, I would argue for the veracity of it, and we could spend time on that. But today, I want to know why. How does this change your existence? How does this change your job? How does this change your future? And the answer is found in what God was trying to accomplish in the cross and in the resurrection And I say trying because he leaves it as an opportunity for you to respond to. He's accomplished it. The question is, has it taken purchase in your life? He has risen and has brought forth justice. Look at verses 1 through 2. It begins with the word, behold. Behold my servant. And that drew my attention to other times that the word behold was used. In Matthew 1.23, "...behold, the virgin shall conceive," quoting Isaiah 7.14. In Matthew 28, and part of this Rachel read as an introduction to worship, "...behold, there was a great earthquake. Behold, he is going to, to Galilee before you. Behold, Jesus met them and said, "...greetings." Behold is declaring something new. It's declaring something in opposition to. If you were to study Isaiah, what preceded this in Behold was chapter 41, verse 29. Behold, these gods that people have placed their trust in are insufficient. And now, in chapter 42, verses 1, behold your king, behold this servant. The arm of God. Behold him on the cross. And behold him where the grave couldn't hold him, wouldn't hold him. Behold, behold my servant whom I uphold. God is speaking, the Father, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit in him. This may sound familiar to you in Matthew 3 13 to 17. This has the same phraseology that's used by God in the baptism. When Jesus is baptized and goes to his baptism, I think that Matthew was thinking about this and as the Spirit moved him and wrote in the story that he could see, this is the answer to the promise all the way back here in chapter 42 of Isaiah. Jesus, my Son, in whom I am well pleased, I have put my Spirit upon him and the the Spirit descended like a dove. My chosen in whom my soul delights. This language is the same language that's used of presentation of a king. Presentation of someone who has been sent by the Father for a specific task. It's spoken of Abraham. It's spoken of Saul. It's spoken of David. It's spoken of Moses. The same kind of phrases are used. Behold. Check out Jesus. Consider Him. Stop for a moment on Easter Sunday and consider what Christ has done. I have put my spirit upon Him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Behold, He has brought forth justice. Now we have to pause here for a minute and understand what justice means. What is it that God is bringing forth through Jesus? This word, mishpat, in the Hebrew, speaks of an attribute of God, a rightness, a wholeness, an order, a goodness that is in God that He intended from the very beginning. You might remember in the creation story that each day that God created, He ended with, It is good. What was He saying, It is good? He was saying that it was pure. He was saying that it was right, that things worked together, that things were functioning as they should. And in the broken world that followed, things ceased to function as they should. Relationships didn't function the way they were supposed to. Our bodies weren't functioning. The world, sin has ruined what God began. And when he says that he's bringing justice He's bringing back that goodness, that wholeness, that rightness that is part of his character and it's being accomplished through Christ. The problem with this statement that he's bringing forth justice, and we're going to see it three more times as we continue in the passage that justice is, is this, this Hebrew word mishpat is talked about in verse 3 and verse 4 or the other two times. There's a progression that Jesus was going, this Messiah was going to bring forth justice. And in verse 3, he was going to, uh, again, faithfully bring forth justice. And in verse 4, he was going to establish justice in the earth. He was going to make it last. It didn't last the first time. That, that wholeness and goodness was ruined because sin entered into the world. The cross and the, and the empty tomb have eternal implications. Global implications. I can't overstate what it means for you and me. The possibilities of change and rightness and wholeness for your heart now and on in through eternity. Being made right. The servant will be revamping and bringing justice to the whole world. That's what it says, to the nations. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. What does that mean? Did Jesus never cry out? No, actually, he did cry out. There were, He cried out on the cross. He cried out during a festival. There are times that those words are used. He is not going to make a defense for himself. And you're going to see that from here on, Jesus stands as one who doesn't force you to change. He's not going to force goodness in the way that you might imagine. Why would we imagine it? Well, in a moment, we're going to see that that Jesus is different than any other reformation, any other restoration. Restoration. Any other reclamation, where a chance where Jesus comes in peacefully and through sacrifice and humility, saves. The cross and the tomb are unlikely examples of a Savior. But in God's economy, it is exactly in line with His heart to save us. Today brings into focus how God's servant accomplished Mishpat. It's done. It is finished. He has accomplished bringing justice to the world. Behold the risen Savior. Have you placed your trust in Him? Have you been saved? He is risen. He has brought forth justice. He has risen. He has fortified the marginalized. He goes on in verse three: a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Again, he's speaking of this justice that he's going to bring, but in the as he describes it, he talks about a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. What is he saying? He looks at humanity, and he see, humanity, and he looks at our lives, and he sees that we're broken. He sees that we're lost. He sees that we're blind. Usually, justice is established by power in a form that's called smash and rebuild. If you want to know how nations hand over power, somebody gets more power somehow, and there's a coup. Who loses in a coup? Well, the leaders that were before lose but anybody that's poor and weak and marginalized. They suffer. They suffer when there's a change of power. And what usually happens in our world when one bully replaces another bully, because you can't replace a bully without being a bully, right? You can't replace someone who's a tyrant without being a bit of a tyrant. And what happens? In almost every case, the tyrant continues being a tyrant. Like you just replaced one for the other. When God restores the world, he sent a servant. And it says that a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. Well, those aren't phrases that we tend to use. The way that they lit a room was through a candle. They knew candles. And usually it was in an oil and a a wick would come up. And and when a wick was run out, what do you do? You dispose of it. But to bring it back to life, to have the tenderness that's required for a, a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick, he's talking about our lives, by the way. He's not talking about restoring a lamp. He looks at humanity as people who have been crushed, who have been wounded, who are lost, we are suffering, we are hurting. And the Savior came to restore, and he came to serve. He didn't come over and dominate. He came low and served. He humbled himself. It's hard for me to even fathom that God would humble himself for us. But the Easter story is about a God who comes into our broken lives and our broken stories and restores. And verse 4 and verse 5 begin to talk about this resolve to fortify the marginalized. And all who are marginalized, Easter is for you. The resurrection is for you. In verse 4, speaking of this servant, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. What is this talking about for the law? It's talking about God's plan, God's way, God's goodness. He's not going to grow faint or be discouraged till it is done, till he's established justice. And when he stepped out of that tomb, justice was established for all who will trust him. Justice is our inheritance. Wholeness is our inheritance in Christ. Jesus will reign on a new, in a new Jerusalem one day, and we, his followers, will know what it is to be complete and everything good and whole. And It's not bully over bully. It's not the rich keeping the poor down. It's not the strongest wins. The strongest served so that we would all win. That's what he came for. That's what Easter is about. It's about restoring the beleaguered and the broken. And he's not going to go faint or be discouraged Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and a spirit to those who walk in it. Thus says God, I will accomplish it. He's promising it. Thus says God, and then he ties it, he gets, it's not just global everyone on the planet. It's global all of history. He ties back to his creation. I was the God that gave life to people. I breathed life into them. I was the God that created the world good. I was the God who restored. And and now he is the God who has a plan that is not based on our faithfulness and not based on our goodness and not based on whether we can keep the covenant or not. He has made a promise where he is the covenant keeper. He is the promise keeper. He is the one who will restore and it will be complete regardless while we were still sinning. Not when we were done and sorry. In the middle of our mess, He promised the incarnation, the death and the resurrection of His Son. For us. But this doesn't have just implications for the past and the present. It has implications most significantly for our future. There is coming a day when all things will be new and Jesus will reign. How do I know it? Because he lives. He will keep his promise and return just as He said. There will be a new heaven. There will be a new earth and we will reign with him and it won't be anything like the world we know. It will be very good. Jesus reigned to give us an optimism like we couldn't have imagined, beyond what we could have hoped for. It wasn't oppression and arrogance to match oppression and arrogance. It was quietness, humility, and service. Jesus took sin and returned grace. And behold, he lives to establish goodness and rightness in our world. This passage ends with the coastlands. In in verse 4, the coastlands will wait for his law. What does that mean that the coastlands are waiting for his law? It means there is a not yet part to this. That there is a part where we will have to wait for justice to be completely established. But I'm here to tell you that today can be established between you and God now as a down payment for what's coming for all of us one day. He has risen. He has brought forth justice. He has risen. He has fortified the marginalized. Behold the risen Savior. Have you put your trust in Him? He has risen. He has released the captives. In verse 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. In verse 6, this is talking about the Father talking to the Son. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Jesus lived a sinless life. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will keep you safe. This, when Jesus walked the planet, when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus rose from the dead, He did that in concert with the Father and with the Spirit. I will give you as a covenant for the people. And what does that mean? I will give you as a covenant for the people. Well, Dr. Norbeck preached the promise that's found in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34. For there is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my law within them, mishpat. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God And they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's the promise, the new covenant that was accomplished. Jesus said it the night before he died. This is the new covenant in my blood. I am going to restore your relationship with God. And just like Adam and Eve had an unhindered relationship with the Father, they could walk with God without fear, without restraint. There was no no break because God was holy and we weren't. Because of Christ's righteousness and what was accomplished on the cross, we are now one with God in Christ. We are now joined with God by the Holy Spirit indwelling us. This was all accomplished in the cross. In Jeremiah, he speaks of that being a promise to Israel. In verse 6 of Isaiah, our passage, this is a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. This is for all. Jesus is going to first offer it to the Jews. And if you know the story, that's what he did. He brought the message to the Israelites. And then he's going to offer it to the nations, to us. Not just the nations that existed when he was here, the nations that would join. That's us. Our generation, the same opportunity. There is a promise, a covenant relationship with God available to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What have you done with that promise? It's free. What does Easter mean to you? In verse 7, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. Jesus came to open the eyes that are blind and to bring people out of prison. And maybe you're sitting there saying, well, I'm in no prison and I can see. I don't need that. The whole point that Jesus came for was the blindness that sin has brought on us. It's about our sin. And what are we captives to? We are captives to our sin. Can you imagine how Adam would have felt his first sin and that affecting his family and then his son kills his other son? Could anyone have imagined that that's where sin would take us? There were some that believed that we were getting better in the late 1800s, that the world was starting to evolve and we were going to move away from wars, right? There were some that believed that humanity was going to show its best side in the 20th century. Did we? World War I, World War II, the Great Depression. We're blind and captives to sin. And Jesus came to bring justice and goodness back to us and to restore us. I can't overstate what Christ has accomplished for you. I can't overstate what he's accomplished to me. Do you know Him? Have you believed Him? Have you trusted Him? It is from darkness to light that Jesus came to accomplish in us. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. By the way, he said that the night before he died. What is the way, the truth, and the life? He has paid for the world's sin, and he has risen to bring life, real, eternal life, to humanity. Do you know him? Jesus died taking on the sin and reproach of humanity, and Jesus is raised to release captives to fortify the marginalized and to establish justice for humanity. Behold, the risen Savior. Do you know him? Have you put your trust in him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, what a story. It's not just a story, it's our hope. It's our future. It's, you have recreated us in Christ and given us a future that is so optimistic and so hopeful as to diminish all of our fears and our anxieties today. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is risen. And because he is raised, we have hope for tomorrow.